Just a few weeks ago, the elders had the opportunity to go down to the pastor's college and attend a class that was being taught there by Ray Ortland. Uh, Ray Ortland is a, a uh, pastor and a scholar who we greatly respect, and there were about 50 Sovereign Grace pastors who went down to join the pastor's college for the week. And the week was part teaching on the Psalms, part exegesis, part preaching seminar, part pastoral ministry training, and just part cool Christian uncle figure encouraging us in the goodness and the faithfulness and the glory of Jesus Christ. Um, and so it was uh, both a refreshing time for us and a wonderful training time for us, and we were really grateful to be there. And we wanted to make you aware that, um, that we get to, we take those opportunities to further our training, and, uh, and what a blessing it was to sit under Ray Orland's teaching so this morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 34, and then next week, we're going to be starting a few uh, shorter preaching series to take us through the summer. The Psalms are a wonderful and central part of the Christian life. John Calvin says of the Psalms, I've been accustomed to call this book, I think not inappropriately, an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. For there's not an emotion for which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. God has provided the book of Psalms so that we can engage with him in honest and transforming ways. And as I thought about that, I took some time actually to just see how many Psalms we have posted online. And so I actually put together a list with links that we're going to send out to you in our weekly email, but I was really excited. We have 34 messages on 29 different psalms from the past 11 years, plus a seminar on the book of Psalms as a whole and how it relates to everyday life. And there's such a wide range of preachers that actually were here on this uh, stage and preached from this pulpit, guests like Ray Ortland, Vodi Bauckham, uh, Nathan Smith, Salo Mercado, Ben Kreps, Moses Enconsuible, uh, sorry, I missed that name, Joel Shorey, Joel Bain, and many of our own pastoral team. And there's a lot of compelling titles from the Psalms, like the God of unshakable confidence, the quiet soul in a noisy world, true rest for the tortured soul, and revival for Christians who wonder if God is just fed up with them by now. So I encourage you to take a look at that list this week. Maybe pick a message. Uh, or maybe you want to spend some time in the coming weeks just visiting a few of the Psalms and enriching your relationship with the Lord that way. Let me read Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This 
poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Let's pray. O oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, my rock and my salvation. Amen. My favorite aspect of creation is the moon. I love the moon. I love looking at the moon. I love telling my family to look at the moon. Some nights when the sky is completely clear, deep indigo, and there's a full moon shining down so bright it, it leaves shadows on the ground. In fact, just a few nights ago, it was really late, it's like 12.30 at night, I was turning off all the lights. I hit the lights in the house and saw the moonlight outside, and I made Wendy take a walk around the block with me to go walk under the moonlight. There's also, but then there are nights when it's cloudy and it blocks it from view. There's also the waxing and the waning of the moon when we only see part of it. We see a half of it or just a thin white crescent that's hanging in the sky. And then there's the new moon. When the shadow of the earth completely blocks the moon from reflecting the light of the sun, and so we can't see the moon even though it's right above us. What's amazing about the moon is that it is always there, but we can't always see it. The moon is always there, but our perception of it changes. And so for me, the moon serves as a regular reminder 
that the same is true about God. When I look at the moon, I'm reminded that God is always near, but my perception of His nearness changes. Psalm 34 is an exuberant song through which David helps us to see that the Lord is always near. He's always present. David's purpose is that we would find joy in living more consistently aware of God's proximity to us. Even the structure of the psalm is a reminder that God is consistently present. The name of the Lord, the name of Yahweh, is used 16 times in 22 verses. His name fills the psalm. His name is ever-present in the psalm. Praise God, He is ever near. The issue is that like the moon, our perception of God's nearness changes, and that can be a struggle for us. Because as your perception changes, you have enemies who want to exploit that in your life. When you don't perceive God's ever nearness, your sin wants to tempt you to feel abandoned. Abandoned by God. Satan wants you to feel alone, like you are on your own, separated from God and separated from others. But Psalm 34 tells us to rejoice. The Lord is ever new and we have reason to hope. Rejoice because the Lord is ever near and we have reason to hope. Now, of this psalm, Charles Spurgeon says the first 10 verses are a hymn and the last 12 verses are a sermon. Psalm 34 is kind of like a Sunday service in miniature. Derek Kidner picks up on that same idea and he says that the two sections can be summarized as saying, rejoice with me and learn from me. And so those are going to be our two points this morning. And each point has three subsections. Three reasons to rejoice and three areas to learn. So our first point, rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. The first, act, act, uh, the first aspect of rejoicing with me is rejoice with me in worship. Rejoice with me in worship. This psalm has a title at the beginning that I forgot to read when I started. But it says this, of David... When he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. This connects with the story in 1 Samuel chapter 21. And this is a crazy story. I mean, it would make a great movie or miniseries. David is captured by the king of Gath. He's referred to here as Abimelech. He's also known as Achish. And afraid that the king would kill him, David pretended that he was insane. He drooled and let spit drip down his beard. He wrote on the walls of the king's castle. And so Abimelech thought, this guy's nuts. He's out of his mind. And he let him go. The plan worked. But David knew that the Lord was near, that, Dave, that the Lord was the one who was working behind the scenes to set him free. And so Psalm 34 begins with David praising God and calling others to praise God with him. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. We 
need to live this way. Our perceptions of God's nearness are so fickle. But if we are continually praising Him, if we're continually praising Him with our mouths throughout the day, that's not only an acknowledgement of His ever-nearness, but Psalm 22.3 says that the Lord is enthroned on the praises of Israel. That means that the Lord is, is especially present when we are vocalizing His praise. Do you want to be more aware that God is with you, that God is near you, then speak His praises more regularly. Do you want to fend off the discouragement of the enemy? Then let His praise be continually in your mouth. Sing, speak, shout if you want to, and if you're able to, but rejoice because the Lord is ever near. And when you worship, the Lord is present with you. Now, this is not something that remains a personal experience. In verse 3, there's an invitation. There's an appeal to others to join in this worship. David says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Now, this is a critical verse in my life. I first remember becoming aware of it as Wendy and I were preparing to get married, I read it one time in my devotions, and as I read it, I knew that I wanted our marriage to be marked by exalting God's name together. And so we made this verse, Psalm 34, 3, the theme verse of our wedding. And I had the reference in, engraved on the inside of our wedding rings. Psalm 34, 3. And this psalm has become for us over the last 23 years our marriage psalm. It's become the place where we call each other to rejoice with one another, to learn from one another. We reference this psalm regularly because it applies to every season of our lives and it reminds us that the Lord is ever near. Do you have a scripture like that? Is there a scripture that serves to remind you that God is ever near? If not, be on the lookout. Take some time. Sit with the word. Go through your devotions. Find a scripture to call your own. Could Psalm 34 be yours as well? Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Of this verse, J.I. Packer says that David is determined that his praise shall not only be continuous, but congregational. The ESV Study Bible says, behind this lies the idea that the ideal praise to God is his assembled people joining their voices and thanking him. John Calvin says, we give thanks publicly to God, not only that men may be witnesses of our gratitude, but also that they may follow our example. We are to be examples of one another, of worshiping God. Fathers, 
You have a unique responsibility as the spiritual leader of your home to set an example for your family as to the importance of gathering with God's people to worship. It's your responsibility, dads, to make sure that your family's out of bed, to deliver them here on time, to stand in the congregation and sing and listen to the sermon so that your wife sees your example as you are in church worshiping, so that your kids observe your example week after week, actively praising God, sitting attentively under the preaching of God's word among God's people. For the rest of us, are we giving the appropriate priority to gathering with God's people? We have a responsibility to remind each other that God is near, that He is with us. And we have a responsibility to be an example to one another. Rejoice with me in worship. The second aspect of rejoicing with me is rejoicing with me in God's deliverance. This is verses 4 through 7. Rejoice with me in God's deliverance. In these verses, we get David's personal testimony of God's deliverance and a picture of his protection. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. When we cry out to God, God hears us and God answers us. That's the reason to rejoice. He is ever near. He's ever near and so you can always cry out to him. You don't get sent to voicemail. You don't get put on hold. When this poor man cries out, God hears and he will deliver. Sometimes you might have a physical situation like David did before Abimelech. Sometimes you might need a spiritual deliverance from temptation. Is there a situation in your life where you need God to deliver you? Is it a circumstance, something where you need God to protect you, cry out to Him for deliverance? Or maybe it's a particular temptation. Maybe you're too quick to pacify your cravings with food. Or maybe you're watching things that are explicit and tempt you to sexual sin. Cry out to God. And he will answer you. Take a look at verse 7. It says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. There's a few things to notice about this. First, notice the transition, the transfer of fear between verses 4 and verse 7. In verse 4, He's in fear of danger. But in verse 7, he's in the fear of the Lord. God delivers us from our fears and teaches us to fear him. He transitions our fear from our circumstances to live under his protection. Fear him, ye saints, 
and you will then have nothing else to fear. Alec Motyer says that the angel of the Lord, Yahweh, the angel of Yahweh is both identical with Yahweh and distinct from him. Interesting. It's in Genesis 16 where we first meet the angel and he both speaks as Yahweh and is distinct from Yahweh. Exodus 33 reveals him as accommodating Yahweh's holy presence in the company of sinful Israel. Matyar says the angel is the Old Testament preview of the Lord Jesus. So consider that. Psalm 43 is telling us that Jesus himself encamps around you to deliver you. That's like the story of Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6, right? Elisha and his servant, they're in the city. The city's under siege. They see that they're surrounded by the army and the chariots of Syria. And Elisha's servant is fearful. What are we going to do? We're surrounded. But Elisha prays that God would open his servant's eyes. And then he is able to see the army of the Lord. Chariots of fire filling the hills surrounding the Syrian army. And then he knew. They were safe. Jesus encamps around you like that. You are safe. He is there to protect you. He is there to deliver you. That is a reason to rejoice. Are there any areas in your life where you feel surrounded or you feel outnumbered or unsafe? Ask God to open your eyes to see his protection around you and give you the comfort of knowing the angel of the Lord encamps around you. There is no eternal harm that any human being can bring upon you. So rejoice with me in God's deliverance. Third, rejoice with me in God's goodness. Verses 8 to 10. Rejoice with me in God's goodness. Verse 8 is one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. This verse is about experiencing God. Experiencing God the way that our senses let us experience rich food and drink. We are to engage God and get a taste. Get a taste of God's character and get a taste of God's blessings and become aware of how good he is. Charles Spurgeon says you cannot see except by tasting for yourself. But if you taste, you shall see that the Lord is good. You can only know this really and personally by experience. This means that you've got to actively engage with God. This means you must be actively reading God's word and calling your heart to believe what it says. It means that you will experience God's peace. 
as you trust him and as you cast your anxieties upon him. It means trusting God to provide for you when you're not sure where provision is going to come from. When we tell the Lord that we're going to trust him in every respect of our lives, God will prove himself good. And as we see his goodness, we find that our souls are satisfied in him. We are satisfied in God and we really lack no good thing. Verse 10 describes the young lions, the mightiest animals in the animal kingdom and how sometimes even their strength fails to acquire the basic food that that they need and they go hungry. But those who seek the Lord, God says, lack no good thing. Now, how does that really work? Because if we're honest, we see Christians all over the world who are lacking even basic food or clothing or shelter. How are we to understand God's goodness then? Well, Derek Kidner says, this is not an empty promise of affluence, but it's an assurance of God's responsible care. As Romans 8.28 says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Even if we seem to be waiting for God to answer in a way that we understand, we know that we will receive God's responsible care, that He is a loving Father, a gentle shepherd. And as we wait we can still remind ourselves that he's good and plead for his intervention. So rejoice with me in God's goodness and rejoice. The Lord is ever near and we have reason to hope. And David goes on to teach us of the reasons that we have to hope. He says, learn from me. Our second point, learn from me. The first aspect from that is learn to live a life of holiness. In verses 11 to 14, learn to live a life of holiness. In this section, we see how we are to live in response to God's goodness. God is near and God is good. God is also holy and we are called to be holy too. This is an interesting section because it goes... As we said, the first half is like a hymn. The second half is like a sermon. This section feels a lot more like the book of Proverbs than it does the Psalms. It gives practical guidance for living holy lives in the fear of the Lord. Verse 11 calls children to come and learn the fear of God. That's a great verse for a children's ministry, isn't it? Great verse for parenting. Let us set our task at teaching our children the fear of the Lord. The question is asked in verse 12. How do we live a long and happy life? The answer is to walk in the ways of the Lord. To fear the Lord and obey Him. At the end of this summer, we're going to start a series on 1 Peter and Peter quotes Psalm 34 several times. So we're getting a little preview of what's to come. It's even assumed that Peter 
had been maybe studying Psalm 34 as he planned to write his epistle. And one commentary on Peter says that Peter likes to quote Psalm 34 as a foundational passage for Christian ethics. In verses 11 to 14, we have this abbreviated summary or a cliff notes of what it looks like to live a holy life of obedience. And it's really interesting that it's almost entirely focused on sins of speech. Keeping our tongues from evil and our lips from deceit. We all know how prone we are to sin with our words. The other day, the morning, I was going to the refrigerator. I opened up the refrigerator, and one of my kids assumed that I was going to eat a snack that they were saving and told me not to eat it. Well, I responded by saying, I don't eat snacks that aren't mine, and I only eat snacks that are given to me by people who are nice enough to share. (laughs) I thought that that was a smart and sarcastic rebuttal that promptly exposed what I perceived as their self-righteousness. It also coddled my wounded pride at being told what to do by my kids, and that lasted for about three minutes. And then the Holy Spirit began to work. And I realized that my words had been used to cut down my own child, to defend my own pride over something so silly. And so I went back and I asked for forgiveness and I prayed for grace to temper my words and to kill my pride and my biting sarcasm. I went back to be reconciled because I want to do good and I want to seek peace and pursue it and I needed God's help to do it. And if you're struggling with taming your tongue as the book of James calls it and you want to grow in holiness in regards to sinful words, let me recommend a few resources for you. Just yesterday at our leaders retreat, Andy Farmer did a message from Proverbs 15 on godly speech. He shared a story about how, godly spe- how the godly speech of one man had a proven impact for generations. It's really worth listening to online. Andy Farmer, yeah, it was great. Andy Farmer also has a book called Real Peace. So if you would like to seek peace and pursue it, that is a great resource for you to have. The book War of Words by Paul Tripp. If you want to grow in understanding how to control your tongue and how our words are shaped by our heart and our motives. Or you can just spend time in James chapter 3 or Proverbs 10, 12, 15, or 18. Chapters that focus on speech. Study what righteous speech looks like and how to avoid ungodly speech. As we seek to live this way, we will learn to live a life of holiness. Learn to endure in suffering. Verses 15 to 20, learn to endure in suffering. Verses 15 to 20 tell us that we will go through trials and suffering, but rejoice because the Lord is ever near and He stays near to us even in trials and suffering. The fact is, we still live in a fallen world. 
where we have suffering and affliction. We will have troubles, we're told in verse 17. Verse 19 says that those who are righteous, that means those who are satisfied in God, who are living lives pleasing to Him, are going to have many afflictions. This is life in a fallen world. This is life as saints who still bear a sin nature. We will suffer, but again, the Lord is near to us in our suffering. Look at the way that God draws near to us. In verse 15 it says, His eyes are on you. His ear is toward your cry. In verse 16, He does not allow the wicked to get away with evil and cause others to suffer. He will cut them off forever. There will be justice. In verse 17 it says, When you cry to Him, He hears you, and He will again deliver you from your troubles. Verse 18, another powerful verse to keep. The Lord is near. He's near when your heart is broken, when your spirit feels crushed. Verse 19 says that even though you will face many afflictions, the Lord will deliver you out of them all. Maybe Jesus was recounting Psalm 34 when he said in John chapter 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Verse 20 says, he keeps all his bones and not one of them is broken. We all know that scripture, we know in John's gospel, chapter 19, we are told that that very scripture is fulfilled in Christ. While Jesus hung on the tree, he suffered the wrath of God, not for our, not for his own sins, but for my sins, for your sins, for the sins of the world. He suffered unjustly, becoming sin for us in order that we might receive his righteousness. And as the day of his crucifixion was moving toward night, it was typical that the Romans would break the legs of those who were being crucified so that they couldn't push up off of their feet and breathe so that asphyxiation would come more quickly. But when they came to your Savior, he had already died. The scripture of Psalm 3420 was fulfilled in John 19, and with it came your salvation. With it came your cleansing from sin. Oh, church, rejoice. Even in suffering, the Lord is ever near to save. And so also through the sacrifice of Christ's blood came the fulfillment of the promises of deliverance. And of our not needing to be ashamed. And of the Lord displaying His goodness. And of us lacking no good thing because everything is ours in Christ Jesus. Through His suffering on our behalf, we can know that the Lord's nearness, the Lord is near in our own suffering. And we can learn to endure in suffering. And then lastly, learn to persevere to the end. Verses 21 and 22 reveal the fate of the wicked and the fate of the righteous. The Bible says in verse 21, affliction will slay 
The wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. For the wicked, they will face condemnation. For them, God will not appear in their defense. He will not deliver them because they rejected His love and salvation. But verse 22 says, The Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. The Lord offers that redemption. He offers to wash away our condemnation and take away our shame. Our God is ever near to teach us that He will help us persevere till the end. And maybe you are here today or you're watching online and you're becoming aware that these are serious matters. And as you look at those two categories, you realize you have not repented of your sin. You've not asked Jesus to save you and forgive you. And you find yourself in that first group headed to be condemned. You can rejoice today. You can rejoice because the Lord is ever near and he is here today offering you salvation. You can repent and believe. You can walk out of your shame and condemnation and into eternal life. You can come to the Lord and take refuge in him. You can receive his sacrifice. The one who died but whose bones were not broken and who rose from the dead and lives forever. The Lord will remain with you to the end as well. So Psalm 34 is a psalm that calls us to rejoice and reminds us that God is ever near. Like the moon. He's always present, perhaps hidden from our sight from time to time. There may be circumstances that affect our perception of God's nearness in our lives, but let us rejoice together in worship. Let us rejoice in God's deliverance. Let us taste and see that the Lord is good. And may we experience God's goodness as we learn to live holy lives, as we learn to endure in suffering and to persevere to the end. May Psalm 34 strengthen us and show us That the Lord is with us every moment of every day of our lives. Oh church, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Amen.